Get a little elbow room in here. <laughs> Let's give it up for our, our band this morning. Weren't they awesome? Hmm. Well, like I said, if, if you're visiting with us today, I know there's a lot of folks that are kind of here uh, for the baby dedication, and so you're kind of joining us midstream. We're on week four of our current series, which is called If You Love Me, and we've been talking about um, obedience and disobedience and the rewards and consequences that go along with the choices that we all make. And last week, Pastor Justin um, kind of took a, a deep dive into, he's laughing because he's like, I, I don't like being called Pastor Justin, but that's what he is, right? Um, he took a deep dive into three heroes of the Jewish faith. We talked about Noah and Abraham and Moses and just some of the unbelievable stuff that they did. Now, they, we all know they certainly weren't perfect. There's plenty of stories in Scripture that talk about their flaws. But each of them, at different points, um, when the leadership was really needed, they had seasons where they were tremendously courageous in being obedient and following the things that God asked them to do. All of their, and, and really that resulted in blessings, not only for them and their immediate family, but sometimes for a whole nation, uh, the nation of Israel, and honestly, even right up to today. I mean, Noah's willingness to build an ark <laughs> is why we're here today, his obedience to that. And all of their obedient acts required sacrifice and trust and stepping out into the unknown. They were ridiculed. Um, some of them really wrestled with self-doubt and were connected sometimes to people that made being obedient um, a challenge. And so the last of the heroes that we talked about was Moses, and we're going to begin today with kind of a familiar story from his leadership, um, and we're going to dive into that, this well-known scene from his journey leading the Jews um, through the desert towards the promised land. So I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 17, which is page 102 in the Pew Bibles. So Exodus 17, at this point in the story, um, the Israelites had recently been miraculously led out of slavery in Egypt. They had gotten to the Red Sea, God had miraculously parted that. They walked through on dry land, they get to the other side. They're complaining because they're hungry and thirsty and God rains down food from heaven every day to prepare, provide for them. He provides water sometimes from a rock for them. So even though there were challenges, God was just providing every step of the way. And this was very early on in their journey that a neighboring tribe comes and attacks them kind of unexpectedly. So the Amalekites come and they attack the, the nation of Israel. And so Moses says to the men, hey, we need to go out and fight. And while you're fighting, I'm going to go up on this hill. And I've got the staff that I had in, in Egypt where we were doing all the miracles. I'm going to have that in my hand. I'm going to hold my arms up and be praying for you guys while you're in battle. And you guys know the story, as long as Moses kept his arms up, the Israelites were winning. But as soon as he got tired and weary and his arms started to droop, the battle started to change. And so um, Aaron and Hur, these two other guys, came and they, they literally held Moses' arms up during the battle um, so the Israelites could be victorious. And, and they did end up winning that day. But I want you to look at what he said, what happens in verse 14 of chapter 17. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it, because Joshua's going to be the next leader. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. 
He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be a war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So, this is a, a key moment here, this last sentence we just read to connect to the next story that we're going to shift to, which is in 1 Samuel 15. So you can turn over there. 1 Samuel 15 is page 401 in the Bibles. So this is a little bit over 400 years later. 400 years later, and God's got a, a long memory, okay? And the leader of the Israelites now is a guy named King Saul. And this is the message that God had for Saul. I want you to look at verse 2 in chapter 15. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came out from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and children, children, I'm sorry, men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Okay? So pretty clear directions about what they were supposed to do. Um, but, you know, Saul and his men found a way to not follow through on that. I want you to skip down to verse 7. It says, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. Um, these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, who is the prophet. I, regard, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has met up, uh, set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites, and they, sp and they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. <laughs> I just love that. Oh, mercy. The excuses start coming pretty quickly, don't they? <laughs> the blame game, right? Oh, these other guys, they, they took it. And, and, and Saul adds fuel to the fire by saying that some of the animals we kept, we kept to sacrifice to you, God. He's, he's, he's using his disobedience in a spirit, he's putting a spirit, spiritual slant on his disobedience, right? To make it seem like, no, this is really a good thing. Kind of like saying that, you know, if you're, you're a, a man of the house, that you took your family's uh, paycheck, you know, that you earned that's supposed to pay the rent. You said, well, I went down to the casino to gamble it, but if I won, I was going to give more money to the church next week, right, based on my winnings. As if you read on, Saul continues in the deception and excuses for not following God's orders, trying to justify and defend his actions. And the pivotal statement comes down in verse 22. Take a look down there. So after all the excuses, Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? 
to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. So let me give you a little bit of context here. Um, at that time, the, the Jewish people um, lived in this sacrificial system, okay, up until the, the time of, of Jesus and his life and ministry. So to make atonement for their sins at that time, they had to, um, you know, at different religious festivals throughout the year, they had to, to bring um, an animal, sometimes a, a lamb, a spotless, perfect animal that would be a sacrifice for their sins, and the priest would take it and kill it, and the blood from that would, would cover over the sins of the people. And participating in that sacrificial ritual could be a way of showing your commitment to the Lord. But the outward appearance can also be deceiving. A person could be going through the motions, trying to do all the right things to stay in accordance with God's law, but their hearts could be far from him. And we've all been guilty of going through the, the Christian motions on the outside while inwardly disobeying God in a number of ways. True? Yeah. Modern day sacrifices could look like church attendance or volunteering or tithing or reading your Bibles or going to Bible study or small group. We can do all those things while at the same time disobeying God in some very significant ways, participating willingly in arenas of jealousy, gossip, lies, unforgiveness, pursuing the materialistic American dream, sex addictions, envy, pride, slander, gluttony, apathy, you name it. And more than God wants us to show up at church or to serve, or to give, or to have a quiet time with him in the morning. He wants our hearts, and he wants us to obey. And David in Psalm 51.6, after he had blown it, he wrote this. He said, talking about God, he said, God, what you're after is truth from the inside out. We're all in trouble, aren't we? There's just no way around it. Every one of us here is, is a double-minded person. And sometimes it's hard to admit that. But the good news is, is that God already knows that about us. And it doesn't scare him away or keep him from moving towards us. But when it gets right down to it, the problem is that none of us fully obey God. None of us. Mainly because his definition of obedience far exceeds our human conceptions. Let's let scripture enlighten us on this topic. We're going to look at a couple of verses. James 2.10 says this, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. In Romans 3 it says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And everything that we've talked about so far 
uh, would be lumped into what would be called a category of sins of commission. Okay? Here's a quick definition for us. A sin of commission is a sin we take action to commit, whether in thought, word, or deed. A sin of commission can be intentional or unintentional. So Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden is a a great example of a sin of commission. They knew exactly what the rule was, exactly what they were doing when they chose to break that rule or that law. And all of us struggle with these types of sin on a daily basis. So I just want to ask a question and uh, see who'd be willing to answer. When was the last time you knew you were wrong, but you did it anyway? When was the last time you knew you were wrong, but you did it anyway? And believe me, we've got a bunch of people who just like got their little kids together to get out the door to come to church this morning. So I know sin was rampant (laughs) in your home, your cars, okay? So PG answers only, but... Who, who, who can give an example of, I did this, and I knew it was wrong, and I did it anyways? Like recently, even today. Yes? So I was at a function, and one of my friends said I was getting into trouble for stuff that I hadn't done before. So she kind of pushed back at them, but then later on, I had a very similar thought, and she did it anyway. It just seemed like she pushed worse, and I dealt with the repercussions of it instead. Okay. Yeah, so she saw somebody at the dining hall that had that hurt her at some point, and she said a snide comment, even though she knew that it was wrong. So great, thanks for sharing. Anybody else? <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> she said this morning before dedication, one of her sons was smothering her baby, so she just smacked him because she couldn't handle it anymore. We call that a love pat, right? Yes. All right. It's getting more aggressive. Anybody else? <laughs> Any fights outside the church this morning? Parking spots were, were tight. I don't know. Anybody else? Something fresh in their mind. Yeah, Phil. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Phil, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, was driving 72 in a 55, got pulled over, and when asked, did you know that you were speeding, he said, no, I didn't know that. Man, we are all in deep, deep trouble. So... When Jesus came, he made it clear that his, his standard for obedience was much deeper than just the outward surface level actions. And he, he began to teach, and, and one of the you know, most famous passages recorded in Scripture is the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthews 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7. And Jesus had a series of teaching that kind of leaves us squirming a little bit and guilty as charged because he took the law primarily the the Ten Commandments that the Jews were very familiar with, and he drilled down to heart-level obedience. He said things like this, You've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh-oh. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not commit murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister or calls them a fool will be subject to judgment. Well, crap, right? <laughs> I am great at kind of playing nice on the surface, right? I can put the mask on and I can schmooze people pretty well in a room. But man, inside my head, I can have all kinds of narratives about the people I'm being nice to in the moment. That guy's a jerk. That person's so selfish. Oh, they're so lazy or whatever. I mean, I've got, I've got the records <laughs> queued up, ready to go. I'm assessing people and I'm making comments about them all along. But here's where things get really interesting. <laughs> I remember the day, and actually, I actually read a book that was based on just this one verse, James 4.17, and I remember the day that it kind of clicked with me and just kind of rocked my world. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Hmm. So this falls under the category of sins of omission. Sins of omission, I've got a definition for it, are those in which we, we knew we should have done something good, but refused. So sins of commission, we shouldn't be doing something, but we do. Sins of omission, right, is that we should be doing something, but we don't. So the question with sins of omission is this, what good are we neglecting? Does anyone here, okay, audience participation time, does anybody here know, know something good they ought to be doing that they aren't? Yeah. Sharing the gospel with friends that need to hear it, right? Jesus is pretty clear about that, right? We choose to disobey that all the time. Yeah, read. Yeah. Yeah, so he's, yeah, so he's talking about showing hospitality or generosity to a stranger, people in need, okay? What else? What else should you be doing that you aren't? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so he's in a conversation where he knows what's being said is just not right, and he, he knows the truth, but he's, for whatever reason, just kind of lets it go and doesn't insert the truth into the conversation, okay? Anything else? Yeah, Jeff. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Great stuff, guys. Great, great examples. Um, we all are pretty familiar with that stuff. Some things that you guys mentioned, I, I, I wrote down, caring for the poor and vulnerable, sharing our faith, making disciples, feeding the hungry, visiting those in prison, being generous, right? I mean, that's just a short list. It could be many, many more than that. So it's not only things that we, we know we shouldn't do and do, it's the things we should do and aren't. Right? So it's, it encompasses everything. Jesus, again, made this category sin very clear in his teachings. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 23. It's page 1410. Matthew 23. Jesus is in a very long teaching to some religious leaders called the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And in verse 23, he's in this series of woes. <laughs> Verse 23 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So he's, he's acknowledging, right? So they're, they're, they're tithing. They're not only giving 10% of their money. They're like going down to the, like the spices in my, my spice rack. I'm going to give out 10% of those to God as well. So they're, they're trying to do things to the letter of the law on the surface. But Jesus says, you're doing those things, but you're neglecting the things that actually mean more to me. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. We can be obedient in the, on the surface, but disobedient in the more important matters. So, for instance, I can be a, a father who goes to work to support his family, does a great job with that. I coach my kids' sports teams. I load the kids up in the minivan on Sunday to get them to church. But I can do all of those good things in an unloving way. I can be critical towards them, demanding towards them. I can be quick-tempered or emotionally distant, which, by the way, those things I just listed, I've been all of those. And some of us had parents like that, and, and we have the wounds to show for it, right? And this whole discussion, a very broad definition of sin that gets down to the very core of our being and exposes the heart-level thoughts and emotions that maybe only we know about, the secret sinful thoughts that we have in our head that we don't ever tell anybody about, our indifference towards suffering, they're all laid bare on the table before us to make a very clear case that we all desperately need a Savior. Our attempts at goodness and obedience simply will never measure up to a holy and righteous God. Hey, welcome to Wellspring. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? How do we balance the tension 
of being keenly aware of our ongoing disobedience while also not getting so overcome with despair at the fact that we can't ever just get it right, you know, consistently. Well, first we have to understand that if we've surrendered our life to Christ and we've received God's free gift of forgiveness and grace by his atoning actions on the cross, then all of our sin and disobedience, past, present, and future, has been taken care of through his shed blood. We are no longer condemned before him. We've been justified. That's a legal term that means we've been made right with God. Because Jesus, the final sacrifice, took our place and paid our penalty. Paul put it like this in Romans 3, 22. He said, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. And guys, that is good news. That is such good news. Because then the question shifts from trying to never sin and disobey again, which we know is probably not going to happen, to... How do we respond to that good and generous grace and mercy God has shown us? How do we respond to that good and generous grace and mercy that God has shown us? And a lot of it gets back to what Jake was sharing just a minute ago. It's gratitude. You see, a grateful heart would be one that desires to honor God for that saving work by bringing their life into obedience with God's wishes. So that's number one, is we've got to understand that that God has already taken care of our disobedience, right? Past, present, and future. We are no longer condemned before him. In fact, he calls us holy and blameless in his sight because of Jesus, not because of our goodness. All right, so that's good news. Secondly, we have to remember that the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit is committed to our transformation, right? Paul writes in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, God who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is working on making you more like his son every day. He's committed to that, okay? And the Holy Spirit, Scripture tells us, is interceding on our behalf. It means he's praying for us constantly, The Spirit is praying for us constantly, Scripture says, in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit knows us. The Spirit knows where we struggle to obey. He can see it coming. right? So he's praying in advance. I know that Bob's going to struggle with this a month from now, so I'm praying for him. That when that moment arises, that he would choose to be obedient. And he would have this desire to, to change. Not only that, but the spirit, the power of God who lives in us, by the way, is providing us with the power to obey despite our weakness, right? God not only says, hey, I want you to obey, but then he gives us the power to do it through his spirit. So he doesn't leave us without resources or tools here. God is for us 
guys. He's rooting for us to win in whatever moment we find ourselves in. So secondly, God is committed to our transformation. And finally, we have to understand that obedience is a process. It's a process, right? I love this quote from Charles Stanley. He says, obedience is a process. It is not a gift. Salvation is a gift. Grace is a gift. Obedience is different, however. God doesn't necessarily want us to work to achieve it. He wants it to be our first nature. You and I learn obedience. We are not born with the desire to obey God or anyone in authority. It's a learning process. And the best way that I can describe it is that at some point in our life, there becomes this shifting of desire. A shifting of desire. As we follow and fall more in love with Jesus and all that he's done for us, do we see evidence that the desire in our heart is to obey him? More than our desire to have our way or for life to be easy or to have control or to always be right? Do we desire to obey more than we desire those things? Do we see a shift in our posture? And when confronted with the truth about sins of omission or commission, how do we respond? Do we get defensive? Do we justify our actions or make excuses? Or are we beginning to more often own it and repent of it and make things right with God or with other people that we've offended and make decisions to move towards aligning our heart, our actions, our thoughts and words with God's commands? It's a struggle, isn't it? Why? Well, most often obedience comes in direct opposition to our desire for comfort or control, right? Most often, obedience comes in direct opposition to our desire for comfort or control. Obedience almost always costs us something in terms of time, talent, or resources. It might cost us financially, <laughs> right, Reed? <laughs> Emotionally. I've got to have space to go and love this person that is annoying and I, is going to demand a lot of me and I don't want to. Mentally, physically, spiritually. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to spend some time looking at various reasons why we disobey. And I started writing a list, and it's long, all right? But I'm going to condense it into a couple weeks and just kind of scratch the surface a little bit. But we're going to talk about what are some of the major roadblocks to our obedience. But the thought that I couldn't escape as I was writing this message this morning is how critical it is that we surround ourselves with other people who desire to obey as well. If our friends are people who quickly make excuses or who are kind of flippant about being obedient to the things of God, they will be less likely to encourage us to obey and less likely to have a posture of dependence on God and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. 
So I just want to leave us with a couple of questions this morning that we can ponder as we close today. I've got a slide up here. You can take a picture of those and think about them later. Do the people I spend the most time with deepen my desire to be obedient towards God and his ways? And then secondly, when people spend time with me, do they walk away with a greater desire for obedience? Those are some deep thoughts there. (laughs) And I think it's fair. I mean, obviously, we can assess the friendship piece. Like, we can can kind of take a look at our circle and say, hey, when I'm with those folks, (laughs) does it make me want to obey God more? And obviously, we've got to have some balance, right? Or else we'd never go and hang out with disobedient people who need to know Jesus. (laughs) So we've got to have both in our life. We've got to have a healthy balance there, okay? And, and it can go one of two ways. Sometimes we are people that only want to hang around people that are, are hanging out with Jesus because that's safe. But then we got a whole world of lost people that need to know Jesus, right? On the other hand, some people are so like bleeding hearts and just, man, they, they love sinful people so well. And they're awesome at engaging them, but they don't do a great job of making sure that their own hearts are being taken care of very well. And there was some people that are calling out some sinful blind spots they can't see. There's got to be balance there. Is there balance in your life? What new friendships do you need to engage in? But secondly, that second question, guys, I would encourage you to, to ask somebody. Ask somebody in your circle, when you spend time with me, does it increase your desire to obey God? Right, because we're not going to get it perfect all the time. Desire is so important. Okay, that's the starting point. Desire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning.